previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. I lost to a bartender from Boston. So, I mean, that's uh, if you're going to lose a sports trivia to a bartender from Boston, that's nothing <laughs> to hang yourself on. From Delaware, almost live, this is a Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome to episode 52 of the Sports Refuge, the weekly interview show where guests discuss their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. Malika Yates has accomplished a number of feats, including auditioning to be a professional dancer and cheerleader for an NBA team, in addition to earning roles in movies and commercials. But one of the biggest accomplishments Yates has achieved was her recovery from a devastating traumatic brain injury and cognitive concussion that has altered her life significantly. In this episode, I talk with Malika about how she first got interested in cheerleading and dancing, as well as how she scored gigs, acting for radio and the screen. We'll also go into depth discussing her traumatic injury, its aftermath, and her continuing recovery while holding the title of Elite Miss Delaware Earth, a role which has allowed her to go across the globe, stressing the importance of living an eco-friendly and sustainable life. And now, here's my interview with Malika Yates. You know, on the Sports Refuge podcast, we don't normally have these types of guests, but I feel like when I've talked to Malika Yates, she's been a very inspirational story, and I feel like she probably wants to be known for more than just being inspirational story. She has a wealth of things she's done in her life, and she's only 33. Of course, I didn't ask because we always know the rule about when it comes to women questions you don't ask. You don't ask about their age or their weight. They can volunteer themselves, but I'm not going to be the one to ask. But Malika Yates has done so much, and you got to hear her story from her own words. There's so many things I wanted to ask her, and I'm glad she's been able to take some time to be on this podcast. How are you doing today, Malika? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I am doing great. I always tell people it's always good to be above ground. Yes. Regardless of how bad your day can be going, as long as you're six feet above ground, it can always change on a dime. Sometimes good, sometimes for bad, but it's all how, what kind of perspective that you have. Exactly. I 100% agree. Just looking up a little bit of your background, I know that you are a very athletic person. You've had experience being a cheerleader. You've done dancing and things like that. And- you know, it's not cyber stalking. I know Look, sometimes you have to research when you do stuff on guests. I know you have a very balanced resume of things you've done. How did you get into dancing and cheerleading? And did you do any other sports or athletic feats growing up? So when I was younger, my sister was a cheerleader and they only offered drill team at my school. So I always knew that I wanted to be a cheerleader and I focused on being the best teammate I could be while on the drill team. I also ran track and I found that I was actually really good at it. I'm a sprinter. I currently don't sprint because of my injury and disability. But, you know, back in my day, I was pretty fast and um, really proud of everything I accomplished uh, while I was running track. I had an amazing track coach who was very inspirational. And um, I went to an inner city school because the school in the suburbs where I live was full. So it was kind of um, a culture shock, if you will. The students would make fun of the way I talk because I spoke well and uh, because of the tone of my voice. But at the end of the day, when I hit that field, I would let it all go and I would do exceptionally well. So I was really glad to have a track coach that always pushed me to be the best version of myself to overcome obstacles and 
break down barriers like, oh, well, I speak well, I get great grades and, you know, you call me what you will. But at the end of the day, like I'm out here, I'm making moves. And if it wasn't for him, I really don't know like where I would be because that was middle school. And he helped instill in me that it's okay if people are making fun of you. They're either making fun of you because they're jealous. They want to do exactly what you're doing, but they're afraid to do it or whatever other issues they're going through. So, you know, learning how to grasp that concept at such a young age, I feel like it helped me in my adult life. Like I haven't perfected it just yet because obviously every day we're evolving, we're learning, but it was just really good to have that support system at such a young age, especially while being bullied and, you know, harassed by my peers who didn't like the way I spoke. And I think that's something that a lot of black people go through where you feel like sometimes you have to overcompensate that you have to add a veil of extra blackness to it where you feel like you have to talk a little bit. And I don't want to say the whole talking black, talking white thing because there is no talking black, talking white thing because there are plenty of people and plenty of regions of the country who talk a certain way, regardless of color. And I think that's something that, that needs to be really, really uh, clamped down on because you're not talking a certain color. There is no way. I know it's easy to say you have a voice where you can get past the phone interview as opposed to then you surprise them when you walk in and they don't expect the person behind the voice. But that's always a good laugh sometimes. Yeah. But <laughs> unless you have a name where it's like, oh, boy, sometimes I feel like you might get disqualified a little bit just by name. You know, that's a whole different story where I've seen some people have the resume and sometimes you might have to uh, anglicize your name a little more just to make it through. That can happen. I I'm lucky. I have a name that's pretty universal that can go through. And I feel like your name is fairly universal where it's not where they can think someone black or someone white, and that's easy to get through, which is still a shame that you even have to even think about that whole issue where that's something that can be honestly discussed. I agree. And I'm more than just the way I look. You know, I have many layers to me, and I feel like we're always evolving, and you should teach your children that it's good to speak proper, it's good to get good grades, be well-educated, because that opens up more opportunities for you as you get older in your adult life and, you know, when you're ready to start a family. And this mindset, it starts at home. It's not something that can easily be taught in school because when you think about it, yes, students spend most of their day with the teachers, but when you get home from school, your parents, your family, they're the ones who really set the tone for your character. And so if they're teaching you good practices at home, you're going to have good practices when you go outside your home. So I feel like we just need to expand our minds and be open-minded to being well-educated, well-spoken, that there's no talking this or that. There's speaking proper English getting good grades, being well-educated, being the best version of yourself, always pushing to do great and be kind. I think those are like some of the solid, stable foundation blocks that we need to start setting inside the home with our youth. You're 33, so you're about my brother's age. So I always think about growing up in the 80s, there's like so many different shows and things on representing black families 
And I feel like this is something I never really thought of. But if you had to compare what you think your life was more like, was it more like the Jeffersons? Was it more like Good Times? Was it more like The Cosby Show? Was it more like Family Matters? What would be the best TV show to describe what your life and upbringing was like? All right. So do not laugh at me because all of those shows you mentioned, I did not watch growing up. So again, do not laugh, guys. I watched Captain Planet, which obviously talked about protecting our planet, taking care of our environment, lamb chop, because maybe I wanted to sing along, okay? I was a really big Animorphs fan and Goosebumps. I love R.L. Stein, And it was reading at a young age that inspired me to travel the world and spark change. Because while everyone was out playing in the summer, I was at home reading my books. I was traveling through these novels that I was reading, I was always learning. And so I can't really tell you what those shows are even about. Even if you offered me like $6.8 million, I'm like, can I call a friend or something? So, <laughs> but let's see if I had to compare it to a TV show. Uh, let's see which one would I compare it to? Honestly, I can't tell you. Because like I said, like I didn't watch TV that much. But when I did, like watch very educational shows. And I wasn't pushed to do that. It wasn't something that... I had to do like you know my mom was really open-minded and um, she let me be my own person but she trusted me enough to make wise decisions because she already knew that she had done a great job with me so it wasn't like there was ever an issue that I would watch something that wasn't savory but you know, maybe they should make a TV show based on my upbringing because I think students should be watching that. How about that? <laughs> yeah, and I think especially as we get a little more into your story, I think, yeah, I don't think there's anything that's really like it. I don't think you can even write a script for a movie or TV show that can definitely duplicate that. Before we get into that discussion, I know that you are also – a professional cheerleader along those lines? Yeah, so I was a semi-professional cheerleader in Florida for the Palm Beach Makos Cheerleaders. I was Miss November, so that was super huge because I always wanted to be a professional cheerleader. And I trained senior year of high school. I was a junior pro Eagles cheerleader for the Philadelphia Eagles. So that was really exciting to be a part of that organization at such a young age and to train with amazing choreographers, instructors, Lou Jacobs. Um, he was one of the heads of that organization uh, for the junior team. And it was just so great to have that support system, that network, that sisterhood. And it it was a really, really great experience. And that like really just inspired me to keep pushing forward to, you know, try out semi pro trilling and then go pro. So I was really, really blessed to be a part of that organization. And when I moved to Florida, I made the Palm Beach Bakos cheerleaders. And like I said, I was Miss November. And I did audition for a few teams, made it to finals. But, you know, sometimes they can only take an X amount number of us. And when you have literally one plus number than you need for the team, there will be a coin toss. And if the coin doesn't flip in your favor, well, that's just not your year. So you always have to just keep trying. And once I recover, I'm definitely going to audition for one of my uh, favorite teams. I uh, was part of the Washington Redskins training program. So that was really exciting to be a part of that. However, 
having a traumatic brain injury and cognitive concussion, uh, it wasn't in the cards for me. And so I had to withdraw from the organization. It was a little bit hard doing that because it's like when you're actually pursuing your dreams and like living them in real life and not just like, you know, it's not a daydream. It's not something that you're like dreaming about while you're sleeping. It's like reality. It's hard having it taken away. And um, so I had to learn how to deal with that and, you know, stay positive in hopes that one day I'll be at a better state where I can do everything that I did before this injury. So I'm just working hard and being positive and hopeful that one day I can get back to where I was and hopefully greater and live out all of my dreams and aspirations. What would you say the common misconception is about especially being a cheerleader for a professional team? Well, there's a lot. (laughs) Some people will think, like, I've actually been said to my face, someone said, oh, you're so smart. Are you sure you're a cheerleader? I'm like, I'm sorry, can you please repeat the question? Because I want to know where that is coming from. Where were you taught this? Why are you conditioned to think this way? And I feel like we need to change the narrative because every cheerleader that I know personally is well-educated. Some are doctors, lawyers, scientists. So I'm not really sure where the misconception and stereotype is coming from, but I feel like, we need to evolve as people you know it's 2020 let's expand the way we think like we are educated so let's learn how to think before we speak and always practice kindness and try to be respectful of others because some stuff that you may want to say before you think may not always be the kindest thing to say when you did the dancing when you were a cheerleader what was the biggest physical demand being able to dance for a long period of time. It may look easy when you're at home watching it on TV or when you're in the stands or at an event. However, hours go into learning that choreography. And if you're not used to that style of choreography or picking up choreography fast, it may be a little bit challenging for you. I just wanted to be known that, you know, those women that you see performing, myself included, They have worked really, really, really hard to perfect that choreography, and a lot of time and passion has gone into that. So every performance you see when the girls hit the field, the court, what have you, always appreciate it because it is a form of art, and, you know, they're out there doing something that they love, that they're passionate, and we should just applaud that because for us to put ourselves out there and go to the audition, like, some people are really shy or, like, nervous or not as confident what have you like but at the end of the day it's something that we love doing that we're passionate about and so yeah we're gonna go pursue our dreams we're gonna put ourselves out there to be rejected and sometimes you're rejected and sometimes you're not but it's always a learning lesson so you know it's the dance aspect is the most demanding of it because those moves are hard yeah we make it look easy but when you have to do like a kip up like when you're down on your back and you flip up like that takes a lot of core strength. And like, you know, when we're doing leaps, jumps, and turns, again, that takes core strength, leg strength. Like we're conditioning, we're in the gym. We're not just working out, but like we're strengthening our muscles. So a lot of stuff goes into every little detail that you don't even know about. What would be your normal workout routine in preparation for cheerleading? So (laughs) mine's a little bit different because when I was younger, I was really fortunate to um, wake up like this, if you will. (laughs) I would only 
work out in the gym one day a month. And at home, I was dancing, like literally brushing my teeth, you know, dancing, just always dancing throughout my entire, you know, fixing food, I'm dancing. So I mainly dance a lot because what people don't realize is you lose more weight when you dance than when you exercise. Because you have like, when you exercise, sometimes, yeah, you might tone up or you might actually gain more muscle. But I was able to just do a program tailored for myself that worked for me and my body type. And um, I was really fortunate enough to just always, you know, be in shape and keep everything tight. So I was really, really proud of the work that I did, like at home while I was like maybe doing a couple of crunches, but mainly just like dancing, taking dance classes, um, literally across the U.S. Like I would fly to different states and train with different choreographers because you learn something new with every choreographer you train under. I would go to different workshops that other organizations like professional teams would host and you know I would pay to train like I'm not going to name names because I don't want to name the wrong team and then they call in the show and they're mad at me so you know I would train with different professional cheerleading team organizations um, throughout the entire U.S. and with every choreographer that I studied underneath like I learned a lot and then some pro cheerleaders that retire they also have dance studios so I would also train with them as well just to get as much knowledge as I can because when you really want something you do your research you know you study you train you work hard and that's something that I really want so I did just that and um I learned a lot and I'm just so so proud of the work that I did and the companies I work with um I will give a tip Sideline Prep is one of the best um, organizations to be a part of and like train with their instructors or choreographers. And uh, they have a choreographer that is a former professional cheerleader in every state. So no matter where you live, if you're interested in getting into professional cheerleading, you can always like reach out to them and they will point you in the right direction and get you hooked up with a choreographer in your area. So I was really glad when I found them because prior to having them, like I was flying <laughs> all over the U.S. training. But when I stumbled upon them, I actually got connected with a choreographer local to me at a studio that was local. And, you know, I was able to train and prepare and through that preparation and that community, like, blossomed a friendship that I didn't even know was possible. So I was really, really excited that I was able to just have, like, that extra network, that support and community. And, you know, like, people don't really believe it, but, like, you're part of a sisterhood. You're sisters for life. Whether you make the team or not, the girls that you audition with, the blood, sweat, and tears – like the ones that you are sitting next to working hard with, yeah, they might be your competition, but at the end of the day, you're together for one mission. And it's like that common mission that brings you together, that creates the sisterhood. I was really glad to be a part of that sisterhood. In addition to that, I noticed that you've also done a little bit of acting, voice acting and things like that. What have you done and how did you get the bug into acting? So I have been acting since second grade. I've been in a few plays, musicals, uh, commercials, movies. As you stated, I've done over 20 voiceovers. Yeah, like I started when I was in second grade. I knew it was something I wanted to do. My school had a production of um, Charlotte's Web. So I was a part of that. And uh, 
it was so much fun. And then it inspired me to do the talent show. And it was just like from there, I just always kept doing more and more. I just knew that it was always something I wanted to do. It wasn't ever a question. My mom didn't ever force me. I would actually drag her and beg her to take off work. And she would, you know, to make sure that I can go to auditions. I asked to go to a school so I can train. And she did. Like everything I asked my mom for, she made sure that if she had to work overtime, get a second job. She was able to keep me in the arts. So I grew up in the arts and I'm still like present day I have the bug I want to be a part of this production that production and this you know commercial and it's funny because I was working well I guess I still am currently working um, whenever they call me or email me and ask me to do a voiceover with a production company in Philadelphia and a company in where was that was it Virginia somewhere not too far from here heard my work on a previous voiceover project that I had done and contacted me directly. I got this phone call and I'm like, I don't recognize this area code. Who is this? <laughs> so I answered the phone and lady was like, hi, my name is so-and-so from this corporation and our company would love to hire you to do a voiceover for us. We want to use your voice for this commercial. We love you. Like, you know, your voice. I was like, thank you. Uh, which one did you hear? <laughs> and then she told me, I was like, yes, I love that one. And so right away, they sent me the script. I signed my um, my agreement. I sent it back. And later that week, I was in the studio recording the voiceover. And it literally, they take about anywhere from like 10. They give you a 30-minute time slot. If you're new, I guess uh, you would use the full 30 minutes. However, you just read the script like once or twice. And when you get in the booth, you have the script in front of you and you're able to read off the script. And they generally like guide you like what they're looking for. With me, I'm very fortunate that like I just read my script like once or twice. I go in the booth and I just I envision the company, the product, and I just do it how I think it should be done. And they love my work and my performance and they use it so you know and sometimes I guess like if they want you to change something you can um but yeah like voiceover work I I love it it's very I don't want to say easy it comes very easy for me it's something that I love to do that I'm good at and I hope to one day work for Disney that is a dream of mine um if I could be a Disney character or a Disney princess voice like I would totally love that when I was younger I used to want to be a Disney princess at Disney World but you know I feel like maybe I might be a little bit too short for that so there's that but if hey Disney if you're ever open to hiring someone that's 5'3 I want you to know my bags are packed I am ready and available <laughs> and like for example what kind of things do you have to do have you done ones where you have to change your voice the depth of your voice is there a way you could give us a little bit of an example so as you hear, my voice is really proper. And some of the ads and campaigns that I do are tailored for inner city communities. So they will ask me professionally to uh, not speak so proper. And I would have to change my tone and diction um, <laughs> and kind of talk like this with uh, a different tone. I'm not really sure if you can hear the difference in the way I'm talking right now, but I would have to switch it up a bit so I'm not as proper and um, just kind of nail the lines that can be tailored for inner city communities so that they can kind of relate to the voice that I'm using. The client would ask me to do that, that is. 
Does that get a little bothersome or, you know, sort of part of the whole deal or? You know, I always have an open mind and there's always, you know, they're doing tests like there's panels, like people come in and they vote. So I know at some point there are some statistics on whether or not people would be more receptive with someone that sounds like them. Like, yeah, I may look like you, but my voice may not necessarily sound like a voice that you're used to hearing or that you like. So they just want the message to be clear to appeal to the community that they're targeting. And I only do commercials for companies and organizations that promote positivity and um, that are doing good things in our communities. So every product that I do, whether or not it's for free healthcare or, you know, um, domestic violence amongst teens, what hotline to call, uh, if you're recovering, like if you've ever been stressed, like what hotline to call if you're depressed or going through things. So like I always promote positive messages and that's why I'm so understanding when they ask me to change my voice to sound um, more urban. Yeah, more urban. I'm trying not to say it, but yes. <laughs> yes. It's funny because when I do voiceovers, they'll ask me to change my voice sometimes to sound more urban. But on the flip side of that, sometimes like when I go to like a casting agency, not an agent, because my agent in Miami is amazing and she accepts me for exactly who I am. And she makes sure that I get booked for jobs that fit me, that are tailored for me, that won't make me change or compromise who I am or my nationality and value myself. So when I work with casting agencies, Sometimes they may tell me, oh, well, your natural curly hair is a little bit too ethnic, so we need you to get a relaxer if you want to book work. And it's like, I just hope, like, now that everything is changing, now that we've seen, like, title holders, like, win, win an entire competition with curly hair, I'm just hoping that, you know, the rest of the industry standards can also change because all hair types are beautiful and it's really hard for me to keep up this straight hair and I don't like putting chemicals in my hair. I don't want to have to use the flat iron. Like, I don't want to have to use those products every day. I literally like it when I can just put a little water on my hair and go. Maybe some, you know, product as well, like some natural product to like define my curls. But outside of that, like, this is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And I feel that I'm my best me when I have curly hair. I feel beautiful when I have my curly hair. I feel like I am my absolute self when I'm wearing my curly hair. And I don't like the fact that I have to straighten it to get booked. I don't like the fact that some companies won't book me if my hair is curly. And the casting agency will come to me and say, well, if you want this job, I need you to have this hairstyle by this date. What movies have you done, if any, that people may have seen you in? So I was in the Baywatch movie with Zac Efron and The Rock, and that was so much fun, shot in Miami, Florida. And uh, I really had a great time working on that film. And I still have friends present day that I made from that set. So that was really, really fun and so cool to be a part of that project. Um, let's see what else have I done. I got to go to my social media. You know, I got a brain injury. So there's that. Memory is not the best. Uh, I was just recently in a TV show. I can't really talk about it just yet because I signed an NDA. But 
I was in a TV show shot in New York that will be out sometime this upcoming year and you'll see me. I was really excited to work on that project. Then I was in Lava Lanchua. That's a sci-fi film. I did that in 2016 and that was a lot of fun. I'm actually tagged in a photo from one of the actors that was also in that film with me. When it comes to doing those roles, as we mentioned with the voice acting roles, what are limits, if any, that you sort of uh, subscribe to when it comes to auditioning for a role? When I go into an audition, I give them myself in that role. I don't try to think, oh, well, they want me to be like this or I need to say and, and move this way to get it. I've mastered the Meisner method, which is improv. So I go in there just like, I don't pre-plan it because obviously when you pre-plan stuff, like you get messed up and then that might frustrate you and they can see that on your face. I go in there like, hey, this is me. You know you want me for this role. I want me for this role. Let's just hire and book me for this role. I go in there completely confident because they can see right through you if you're nervous. And I just give it my best. Like, I give it my all in that role. And 90, 95% of the time I get it. Like, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Either way it goes, if I'm not booked for that role, I have had instances where I get called in for something else. Hey, you auditioned for this. I know we didn't cast you for that, but would you be interested in playing this part? Or you may not remember this. A year ago, you auditioned for this role. I loved your performance. Will you do this? So... You never know, like, yeah, you may not get the role that you want that day, but you never know what it could lead to. So you always want to put your best foot forward and always stay positive. No matter what happens, just know that you are great. I know one of the things we're going to start getting into, because I know you've talked about your career and we mentioned it briefly, that you are currently in recovery from a traumatic brain injury and a cognitive concussion. How did that all happen and what was the recovery like? So on my birthday, March 3rd, a little over two years ago, I was walking to my car inside the parking garage and none of us noticed that this arm gate was up because there was no car and no one swiped their badge. So since we didn't see a car and no badge had been swiped, we were just walking and talking. And I was the shortest one out of the bunch and the last. And that 10 pound metal arm gate came down and hit me in the middle right of my head. And it forever changed my life. I present day still have that knot in my head, a bald spot where that knot is, where that 10 pound metal arm gate hit me. And now I suffer from nonstop headaches, which range from a level five and higher, um, nonstop ringing in my head, which you know, ranges from low to high. And when I lay down, my headache spikes because the ringing on my head gets louder when I lay down because I'm putting pressure on my head. So now I have to lay in certain positions with pillows. Like it's really hard sometimes to fall asleep and it's hard to like sometimes finish a sentence, communicate effectively because sometimes I say words that don't exist or I'll say the wrong word. Math is hard for me sometimes. Remembering things, it's hard for me every day. I have memory problems, acute light sensitivity. My first year having this injury and disability, I slipped into depression because my entire life changed. I was limited. I present day still feel like a prisoner trapped in my own body. Like I'm just used to doing everything that I ever wanted to do, pursuing my dreams, going out to these auditions, auditioning to go on a tour for my favorite artists and, you know, 
auditioning for a professional cheerleading to just having all of that taken away from me, all of that stop. And it's like, well, what does that mean for me? When can I audition again? And to tell me that I can never do these things that I've been thinking about doing since I was like two, three years old, like watching my sister be involved in like cheerleading and like watching sports with my dad before he passed away, just, you know, saying to him, one day I want to be a cheerleader when I grow up and him telling me that I can be anything I want to be. But then having this injury, the doctors are telling me, oh, well, maybe well, what do you mean maybe? I need a guarantee. This is what I want to do. My dad told me before he passed away that I could do anything I want to do. Now you're telling me maybe I will be able to, maybe I won't. And that's not good enough for me. So, you know, it's been a huge adjustment for me just getting to the state that I am right now, being able to live, literally. And I know you may not understand what that means, but if you have a traumatic brain injury, cognitive concussion, suffer from depression, anxiety, panic attacks, post-traumatic stress disorder. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And for those of you who don't, if you have someone that suffers from that, please just give them a hug right now and tell them that they have value. Because sometimes we just need to hear that. What were some of the really toughest things in the recovery process that you had to endure? (sighs) Reading? which was something I uh, loved doing that I did a lot as a child and I traveled like literally worldwide through books and um, having to learn how to do that all over again, words and like being able to like see, I now have, I call them my superhero glasses, which I'm wearing right now because again, hashtag acute light sensitivity, hashtag brain injury problems. But um, yeah, like the words, How do I explain this? Um, sometimes my vision is blurred and doubled and um, the words on the page, they would be blurred and doubled and it would get so bad that it looked like they were just like moving around and I would see like these little like white stars. Um, and it was just hard. And then, so I didn't want to do it. Reading used to be something that I loved to do. And then it became something that I dreaded to do, that I was embarrassed to do in public. When anyone listening, if you grew up with me or like, if you know me, you know that like, I love reading. I always raised my hand to read out loud, even like here locally in training, like before the injury when I was working. And I would always just raise my hand to read because I loved reading and it was easy and now it's hard and something that I love to do became something that I dreaded to do so I am working on reconditioning myself and to not dreading to read because it used to be something that I love to do so just understanding that hey you know what I may mess up on a word or a whole sentence but at the end of the day like I'm out here I'm trying I'm not giving up on myself and Maybe one day I'll get back to the old me, but if this is as good as it gets, I'm going to make sure that it is super awesome. So, you know, reading, it it was hard. It's still challenging, but like I said, I'm going to push through it any way I can, and I'm just going to keep my head up and stay positive. And with an injury like that, as you've mentioned before, that it is similar to something that a football player could end up having. What other, I guess, things that you noticed that changed for you with the, as a result of the injury that was there any like do you feel like change in personality impulse that's changed 
It is so funny that you mentioned that because in all the interviews I did, no one actually asked me that question. Not only is that a great question, that is the reality of what I'm going through. So I went from only liking romance comedies and romantic movies and uh, like anything with a love story to now I actually like scary horror movies and I never did before. And um, I went from having a filter. I could sugarcoat it and, you know, now I don't have a filter. And (laughs) my primary care physician, she actually said that that's a good thing because a lot of people were telling me throughout the years that I was too nice, too understanding. And I know that, yeah, you might have heard that before, but, like, I was really, really nice and, and really understanding. And now I just... I say exactly, like, I'm not harsh, I'm not cruel, I'm not mean, like, I'm not going to, like, blatantly try to hurt someone's feelings, but, for example, having this injury, people do, like, um, did you try to talk to me any kind of way, and now I'll just stop them in their tracks when when they start yelling at me and, like, being rude and disrespectful, thinking because I'm stumbling through a sentence or a word, it's okay to talk to me any kind of way and disrespect me, I now say, pause, I'm a human just like you. And just like you, I deserve respect. So unless you're able to give me the respect that I deserve, you and I are done with this conversation. Thank you. And um, 10 times out of 10, people have changed the way that they treat me. But having a disability, having an injury, doesn't mean that it's okay for you to treat anyone less than. Like the old saying, treat others how you want to be treated or... Put yourself in someone else's shoes. Think about it for a second. Would you want someone who sees that you're stumbling over a sentence or having a hard time expressing what you're trying to say, be mean, rude, and disrespectful, and speak to you in a condescending manner and treat you as if you're less than? Yeah. And I think when you think of disabilities, a lot of people will think of the visual ones that they can see. Someone who's blind, someone who may need a cochlear implant for deafness, someone who may have lost a limb either through medical conditions or through being a military veteran or someone who's in a wheelchair or a walker. And I don't think that they notice the ones that are beyond the physical that people can actually visualize. Yeah. And I just hope after hearing this interview that some of us will expand the way we think and be a little bit more open-minded because not all disabilities and injuries are visual. Some of them are in the inside. And when it comes to the brain, you can't see the brain on the outside all the time. Nine times out of 10, you can't see it. Some severe cases, you know, maybe you can, but we just need to be a little bit more understanding and practice kindness because you never know what someone's going through. And just because you can't see it, doesn't mean they're not going through anything. Now I know that you, are a vegan and you've done that for how long since 2013 (laughs) what has that been like and i know this is going to be the most inane question but i have to ask have you tried the impossible whopper and if so what is it like it's a question that while it doesn't seem like it's a very pertinent one and life or death i feel like that's such a interesting question with burger king trying to go plant-based and and things like that Like with anything in life, I never try anything that just came out because there can be recalls, there are glitches. So I always give companies um, a grace period, if you will, to work through their glitches before I try it. 
because like with my electronics, I'm very picky and selective with them. Um, I'm more picky and selective with the things I put in my body. So I haven't tried that Impossible Burger yet because, you know, it just came out. I've heard mixed reviews about it. Um, right now, I'm sticking with my burger that is made out of rice and mixed vegetables that I absolutely love. Maybe this summer I might try it because, again, I'm hearing mixed reviews about it. And plus, I actually stop eating fast food if I happen to need something and I don't have any food on me or I'm not, like, close by a restaurant and I'm pressed for time and I just have to get something really quick. I'll either stop at a Wawa, get some veggies or some fruit or a grocery store or if I have to get french fries on the fly, that's <laughs> the extent of my fast food. What's the last meat-based food that you ate? Ooh, right before I became vegan. Let's see. Hmm. Now, you're asking me something. What? Hold on. Math is hard. 2013. So you're asking someone with a traumatic brain injury and cognitive concussion what the last meat product they had was six years ago. All right, let me think. Sometimes it can be associated with a moment that'll never go away. I know, I know. Um, it... I think it might have been pizza, like a pepperoni pizza, because, like, I'm addicted, and I kind of, like, even that I'm vegan, like, I still eat pizza, like, twice a week. So it's just, I don't know, I love pizza, but my pizza now is vegan, all natural, and it has delicious vegetables on it. So, like, I feel like I'm living my best life. But uh, I think it would have been a pepperoni pizza because I love pizza. Yeah. Did you go from omnivore to vegetarian then vegan or did you go completely vegan just from the go no i went completely vegan i was introduced to veganism at an audition in 2010 and i was ready to dive into it i was in new york Uh, i trained with the brooklyn nets i think it was like a week or so of training and it was intense we did the same workouts that the basketball players do and um yeah like It was hard. I had muscles. Like, talk about being in the best shape of your life. You want to get in shape, try professional cheerleading. (laughs) I met one of the girls um, that was in the training with me, and uh, she was vegan, and I was open to trying it. And she took me to this restaurant in New York, and it was so good. Like, oh, my gosh. The chicken didn't taste like fake chicken. Um, Everything was so delicious. She exposed me to... A whole new world and I was like oh my gosh I want to learn how to do this and she was like well it's simple no dairy no meat I was like okay I can do that and then um I went to an audition and I was vegan and I didn't have any fruit nuts or veggies uh this is before uh veganism was here in Delaware well I should say that we had uh lots of vegan options here in Delaware like we didn't have the restaurants that we do today and so I went to an audition and I didn't have anything to eat because I couldn't find any vegan options. And I made it. I made it to the semifinals and I got cut because I was trying to perform and I hadn't had anything to eat and I passed out. So I was like, I cannot be vegan right now, not because I don't want to, but I need to educate myself more on how to properly throw myself into this lifestyle. So in 2013, when I became 100% full vegan, I knew exactly what I could and couldn't eat. And I trained myself to know like, okay, well, if I'm at a restaurant, but they don't have any vegan options just yet, but they have vegetarian options, or maybe I can take some of the sides and just create my own meal. 
I was more comfortable asking like, hey, I'm vegan. I see that you don't have any options here. Would you mind if I got your mixed vegetables and instead of cooking them with butter, can you possibly make it with like olive oil? And they were always willing to accommodate that because it wasn't my fault that they hadn't expanded just yet and had vegan options. So for the most part, restaurants are really accommodating. Like I wasn't asking for the moon. I was literally ordering sides a la carte and paying. Like I didn't get any special privileges. Um, another example of where I created my own meal was when I was in Mexico. They did not have <laughs> vegan options in Mexico. <laughs> so I actually created a meal. Um, I'm not really sure which social media account of mine it's on. But it was um, black beans, pears, uh, sweet potatoes, and, oh, and rice. And obviously, like, there was no dairy and any of those things and no meat. So it was like a full vegan meal. And it was so filling. And I was so happy. And they charged me 20-something dollars for my sides. And I was like, what? I didn't even get a full pair. And they charged him full price for it. Like, I thought it was going to be like $13, $15. It was 20 I was like, oh, okay, cool beans. You have it. I appreciate the chef accommodating my lifestyle and, you know, making something that I can actually eat. So I was happy. But don't think because I'm getting sides, I'm getting a discount. <laughs> I'm still paying full entree prices. And you don't have any vegetable or fruit allergies, do you? Thank goodness, no. I'm very lucky. I eat everything plant-based. <laughs> do you take vitamins to sort of supplement what nutrients you might lose through meat? Or? Uh, so I was when I was first injured in 2017. But here's the thing. I was taking <laughs> a lot of pills and I was always nauseous and it was just hard and it would spike my headaches up. So I uh, made an executive decision to after like going into my second year, after dealing with all that year one, I decided to eat more of the fruits and vegetables. Like when you do research, you can see like all of the vitamins that, like an apple has in it, which are the same vitamins that they're putting inside the pill. Now, when you do the capsule, some studies have shown that the capsules don't fully like absorb in your body. So they're like just stuck roaming around there. I mean, like there's some studies that might say the contrary. So you never know what is what. But what I do know is I I want everything that goes in there to filter through and be gone when it should be gone. That's what I know. So I stopped taking um, the supplements and the vitamins. I will probably start on some chewies. Um, I'm not really sure if they're safer. They do taste good. Uh, they go down easy and they stay down. So there's that. <laughs> That's a huge concern of mine. So um, I might start on some Chewies only because there are some new companies out that are vegan-based. And uh, I have uh, been introduced to um, one of the representatives from a particular company. So I'm really excited to try their product and see how it works in relation to my lifestyle. And they have vegan like gummies. So I possibly uh, will be back on the vitamins again, considering that they're literally made out of fruit, nuts, and vegetables, I know that they are safe. <laughs> I know we're jumping around all on topics. I know you recently got into the pageant scene being a part of your role as Elite Miss Delaware Earth. What was that experience like being in the pageant? And what 
was really the biggest thing that you had to get acclimated to being in a pageant? Well, not ever having a state title, let alone going to nationals before, I didn't know what to expect. What I assumed was it was similar to professional or semi-professional cheerleading, but yes and no. <laughs> You're a brand ambassador for the organization. That's the same. Uh, the walk is different. Uh, the poses are very different. So I was doing like, you know, regular model poses. No, but the poses that you do when you're a pageant girl, like they're very different. And I didn't know them just yet because like I didn't have a coach to show me those poses going into this. So I was fortunate enough to be open-minded and to, uh, this is what I really wanted. So I just threw myself into it and I was like a sponge. Every time I learned something, I write it down, I recorded it. I just made sure that I was able to be the best version of myself while having this title, while representing this brand, representing this organization. So it was a learning process and I was eager to learn everything I learned last year. And I'm so excited to announce that I'm also gonna represent the state of Delaware as Elite Miss Delaware Earth 2020 as well. So I'm looking forward to learning new things and to just being a well-rounded, amazing state representative. And who knows what can happen in the summer? Maybe you're, USA representative in this organization in my division. So yeah, it was different, but I was I was ready to learn and eager and um, I'm still learning and I'm so grateful for the opportunity that has been afforded to me to be able to learn. What was the physical preparation like for the uh, pageant? So having this injury, I didn't work out um, <laughs> like I did before and I had gained some weight. So two main things I worked on was my mindset not ever having a state title, um, you know, going through this injury, like I did lose confidence. I went from knowing who I was as a person and being confident to no longer having confidence. But as I stated earlier, Sideline Prep, they're an amazing organization and I work with them. And uh, I told them that I wanted to do this pageant and, you know, they worked with me and they helped me gain a little bit sense of myself. And I was, for the first time in my entire life, confident to wear a bikini in public, which was a huge accomplishment because before the injury, I didn't ever wear a bikini without a cover-up. Like, I loved the way I looked in the bikini, but I wasn't confident enough to wear it in public. But I was confident enough to know who I was as a person and be able to wear, like, shorts and maybe, like, a tank top and, you know, rocket and knew that I was like good and then having this injury it was just like I didn't feel like I was good enough for anything so I had to retrain my thought process and um, undergo a major metamorphosis to try to get back a sense of myself and sideline prep really helped me do that and this past June when I graced that stage in my bikini I was ready. I knew that I looked good. I might not look like anyone else out there, but I came a long way. I put in a lot of hard work hours, literally blood, sweat, and tears. And I knew that I deserved to be there and that I was doing a great job. And at the end of the day, that's literally all that matters. As we jump to a random question, if there was someone to do a story about your life, what actor would you want to play you? And what celebrity have you been told that you resemble the most? So let, let's start on the easier question. Which celebrity have I been told that I look like the most? And that is Rosie Perez. And sometimes, um, allegedly, 
when I get a little upset. I sound like her. I don't know. I don't know. But then people are like, see, Billy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't see it. I don't hear it. But okay, whatever. So I get Rosie Perez a lot. Um, when I am, um, we're not going to throw out my weight, but when I'm like, 10 to 15 pounds lighter and I have <laughs> my signature hairstyle which is like you know a bang on my right eye I am told that I look like Aaliyah I love that I think that's a huge compliment because I absolutely love her I used to be one like I used to want to be one of her backup dancers like she's part of the reason why I love dance so much she was just so talented I will forever remember all the great things that she did and will forever miss her. So it is, in my personal opinion, a huge compliment when anyone ever tells me I look like her. I'm like, oh, thank you. You're my best friend. Can I please give you a hug? Um, <laughs> now back to the other question. Who would play me? That is a very good question. Um, obviously, I would have to play myself for uh, high school all the way to present day, only because I... I kind of look young, and depending on how my hair is styled, I can pull it off. But in my younger days, um, I don't really know. I don't. You know what? My friend, her daughter, has curly hair and kind of favors me a tiny bit. So I, she's not famous just yet, but she has been in commercials, um, print ad campaigns. They live in LA. Uh, so my adopted niece. Because, like, my friend is, you know, my best friend, so I call her my sister. She, her daughter would, would play me in my younger years. While you're in the recovery process, what is your ultimate goal in, in life, especially as you recover from the injury? I would like to get back to 100% of where I was. And by working so hard to do that, hopefully surpass my normal self and be a way better version that I could ever imagine. In the event that that doesn't happen, I would like to get rid of these headaches. I just, I want the headaches to stop. I want the ringing in my head to stop. And I want to be able to remember, like to be able to speak well without forgetting how to say a word or forgetting what a word is or stumbling through a sentence or even stuttering because I didn't have a stutter before the injury. Um, so if I can't get back to my normal self, and be the best version of me like I would just like the headaches the ringing in my head to stop and to be able to have a sentence remember what I'm saying and what was said and be able to say words that actually exist not stumble through them not stutter like just be able to speak well because I do speak well and I just would like those things to happen what are ways that people can reach out to you through social media and things like that so my handles are Elite Miss Delaware. That's E-L-I-T-E-M-I-S-S-D-E-L-A-W-A-R-E. That is my Instagram and Facebook. Um, and then my modeling page is MS underscore international, the number one. If you do send me a friend request, please inbox me and reference this show and I will accept your request and then you can see all of the amazing things that I've done in the industry, projects that I am working on, um, anything from working with QVC, being on commercials there. Uh, you'll see some behind the scenes photos of where I did voiceover, some behind the scenes photos of movies that I've done, even music videos that I've been in and obviously 
my Miss November uh, picture from the calendar when I was a semi-pro cheerleader and um, some photos from sideline prep. Well, Malika, I do appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. and I definitely look forward to doing this once again. Thank you so much. And I look forward to being interviewed by you again. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And I hope to hear from you guys soon. Malika Yates has been one of the most inspirational guests I've had on the show. And I look forward to hearing more of her story as it progresses. Next time, my guest will be Benny Pinella, the host of the Pat and Benny Show podcast and of Nashville's Next on 94.7 WDSD-FM in Delaware. In what will be part one of a two-part interview, Benny will discuss how he first got an interest in radio, what it's like being a Philadelphia sports fan, and much more. You can find this episode and previous episodes of The Sports Refuge on The Sports Refuge website, and you can subscribe to the show wherever podcasts are heard. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to The Sports Refuge Podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.